Welcome to the Sharp Angles Prop and DFS Show. I'm your host, Todd Burrows, and I will be joined during the playoffs by my regular partner, Ryan McChrystal, who will be giving us a prop for every game, and Adam Wildy, our showdown specialist, and we are going to go game by game using the DraftKings playoff slates for our DFS portion of the show meaning that while we will go game by game and give you a prop for each game from Ryan, Adam and I will talk about plays we like from that game within the structure of the two-game Saturday main slate, the three-game Sunday main slate, and the true showdown slate on Monday. But first, weekly postseason packages are available now. Use the code WILDCARD for 75% off your first week, or for the full postseason, use TAKE150 for $150 off. Sharp Football has been on fire. Go to HTTPS www.sharpfootballanalysis.com. Join the Sharp 2024 Football Analysis Playoff Pick'em Challenge this contest is open to all postseason package subscribers, including weekly subscribers. And you, again, can go to sharpfootballanalysis.com to get in on the action. Also, if you could please subscribe and give the thumbs up on our YouTube channel. If you are watching or if you listen, please, wherever you are, stop exactly what you're doing right now and give us a great review and we would really appreciate it. All right, so that is all the particulars that need particularating, Ryan. It is good to have you back. I'm glad you're feeling better this week. I missed with COVID two weeks ago, and you were out last week. Yeah, glad to be back. Excited to dive into all the playoff action this week. It has been a exceedingly exciting week with every famous coach of the last 20 years um, being crippled and put out in the pasture and shot. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see over the next few months, um, well, weeks and months while the playoffs are going on, um, what uh, the coaching carousel will give us for next year. Um, we can only just hope one thing, that Arthur Smith does not get an offensive coordinator job anywhere. I think we all can agree with that, correct? Yeah, yeah, I'd be good with that. We can all agree, right. but we all know that he'll be in New England with Rabel in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and 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 um, yeah, that that that'll probably be the first shoe to drop. Whether they go forward with their decision to go uh, with uh, the plan they had with Gerard Mayo, or if Mike Vrabel um, being available has changed the dynamic in New England. Um, all right, Adam. Um, you know, DK has decided in their infinite wisdom to break into two main slates and a showdown slate. So let's start with the two-game Saturday slate. Adam, before we get to the first game and Ryan's prop for it, how do you approach two-game slates, you know, with your expertise in showdown? How, you know, obviously it's not uh, showdown uh, captain's mode. Uh, give yeah. us some pointers on dealing with two-game slates. Yeah, I actually think that I do pretty well on the short slates, knock on wood, because um, most people look at it as treating it more towards main slate um, strategy, and I think it actually is geared more towards showdown strategy. 
Um, the problem with short slates is that everybody looks like a good play, especially when you get into wild card weekend because you have good teams typically. Um, and then obviously that's going to get more significant as as the playoffs swindle down. So you're going to have more and more options. So these slates get really hard because everybody looks like a good option. Everybody projects well. Everyone has similar ceilings. So way more game theory way less medium projections. You almost don't even need medium projections. I mean, um, simulators are fantastic. If you have access to any of those, those are going to serve you the best right now. But projections are are not going to help you too terribly much as you get into these smaller slates. Okie doke. All right, let's go to the first game in that two-game slate. It's a fun game between the Red Hot Cleveland Browns and their feel-good story quarterback, Joe Flacco going into Houston to face the, the Texans and their feel-good quarterback, C.J. Stroud. Uh, Ryan, what is your prop for that game? Yeah, my prop for this one probably looks fairly obvious or a little bit chalky, but I'm going to take the over on David Njoku's reception. It's available at five and a half, and it has a little bit to do with Flacco, as you mentioned, ever since Flacco got there, and Njoku's been a huge part of the offense he's had uh Njoku's had six or more receptions in four of Flacco's five starts although the reason I'm on this prop isn't doesn't really have too much to do with Flacco because I think the line basically already reflects the fact the fact that he has seen increased usage with it being up at five and a half which is certainly higher than it was earlier in the season the main reason why I, I like it even though it is a pretty high number is you know we've seen consistent usage but we also have a good matchup here with the Texans and their coverage scheme We've talked about throughout the year, tight ends against two high coverage defenses are often a good play. And you know that that is definitely true of Najoku. And in the Texans, we have a team that plays two high coverage with the fourth highest rate in the league, 49%. So looking back at the Browns, when both Cooper and Najoku are active, which is it looks like it sounds like Cooper is going to be good to go this week. Najoku sees a 21.6% target share against too high, and Cooper sees 22.6%. So basically equal usage as the go-to weapons. And that's, you know, that's continued through with Flacco. Basically identical numbers when Flacco's been out there over the last two weeks. Another added factor here is that the last time these teams played a couple weeks ago, Cooper torched them. 11 receptions for 265 yards. So I would think Houston's mindset going into this game is do everything we can to take away Cooper, which potentially just opens up more opportunities for Njoku in a coverage matchup where we already think he's going to have opportunities. So even though this line is pretty high at five and a half, I, I still like it based on the recent usage, coverage matchup, and potentially a Texans-adjusted strategy sort of shifting away from him and more towards Cooper. Yeah, I like it. I think that Njoku has been on fire. He is not only involved in patterns, he's also a safety valve for Flacco on a lot of other plays. And, um, you know, I, I think that is a very good call for Ryan. All right. So, Adam, there are four massive chalk plays in early ownership from this game. There are three of them, Singletary, Collins, and Amari Cooper. How will you deal with them on this slate? Yeah, absolutely the hardest part of these slates. Um, and we alluded to it last week. Now we're into it this week. Um, some of the people you're going to play are going to be rostered 90% of the time. That's just how it's going to be, especially when we get to Sunday. We talk about guys like Kyron Williams. There's going to be guys that are rostered in almost every lineup. It just decreases the amount of players that are in your lineups, essentially. you It's okay. You can differentiate other ways 
elsewhere. Don't think that you have a bad lineup because your quarterback's 40%. Their primary receiver's 80% because they're going to be in all of the quarterback lineups. Every lineup with Joe Flacco miss is going to have Amari Cooper. Uh, and then they're also going to be ancillary pieces in other lineups too. So you're going to get those guys being like 80%, but it's okay because then you'll get down to like Jamison Williams, who's, you know, five, seven, nine percent. You will have plays that will differentiate. So um, there's going to be so many guys that are 70, 80 percent owned. You you can't avoid it. You're going to play some of those guys for sure. The next two highest owned players that I noticed were David and Joku and Joe Flacco. Um, so uh, you're going to see a lot of stuff come off the board early in the two game slate. Um, you know, are you on board with uh, being even, you know, again, the, the important thing to consider isn't the ownership of the player, but whether you want to be even over or underweight yep. player. You yep. don't want to fade the chalky plays on a two-game slate completely yep. because they're, they're, they're going to be chalky because they're the best plays, right? Yep. So very rarely do you want to just fade them are you considering an over position on the Browns on the road with Joe Flacco? Yeah, so you have a few options, and we'll get into uh, a different strategy I have when we get into the Chiefs. But for the Browns, since Flacco and Mahomes are the only two quarterbacks that I'm um, that I'm considering on this slate for Flacco, what I think that you need to do. It's going to be a little bit different for Patrick Mahomes, but with Flacco, since so much of his volume is going to go to um, – Amari Cooper and David Njoku, uh, like maybe 30% target share for both of them, which is kind of insane. You are going to have to either heavily stack Joe Flacco or consider single stacking him. You could even put a rule in, but this is highly unlikely and I probably wouldn't consider doing it. You could put a rule in to have just Njoku and or just Amari Cooper and then include Elijah Moore in there, include one of the running backs in there instead of pairing the two. But I think for Flacco, the approach that I'm going to um, – take and also what i wrote in the article that'll be up tomorrow morning is uh just play in joku and amari cooper with joe flacco but consider heavily stacking and maybe even four browns in the same lineup to try to differentiate from the rest of the joe flacco lineups all right so um one thought that came to me is you know as good a play as flacco might be because the texans are not a good defense joe flacco has thrown a lot of interceptions in his yeah. career um, and this is a pretty big spot for him. I would, you know, personally, if I'm not playing Joe Flacco, whether I believe in the Texans defense or not, I'm probably playing them, yeah. hoping to get that leverage if Flacco throws a couple pick sixes. Your and thoughts actually, on that strategy. Yeah, so actually I'm glad you brought that up because in the article I wrote about playing Flacco with the Texans because it is so important to try to differentiate uh, your your Browns lineups when they are going to be so chalky on this slate. Uh, and one of those ways is by breaking a rule like we've talked about the last time, couple times I've been on the show. A lot of people don't want to play the defense with the quarterback, but on short slates you're really – you're probably – the defense that's going to win out is probably going to be one that either scores or just gets lucky in turnovers. Um Probably not outright domination, especially on Saturday. Maybe we'll see that on Sunday. So that means that the defenses are all fair game, in my opinion. And I think playing Joe Flacco with the Texans just to knock off that 5% of the field that completely eliminated that from the, the possibilities in their builds uh, is a nice approach to take. 
Yeah, and and definitely to play him in non-Flacco lineups, um, I think is smart uh, way to differentiate. Um, for me, you know, it is definitely possible that Flacco throws five touchdowns on the game with one or two of them being to the Houston defense. And, yeah, totally you know, giving, giving you exactly the amount of points you need to take down the GPP. Okay. So um, that is pretty much it that I had a question on. I guess from this game, the last thing I'll ask you, Adam, is, is there a under-the-radar play that you like in this game? So the Browns running backs are kind of going a little bit under the radar, but the only one that really makes a ton of sense because he provides value is going to be Kareem Hunt. He's playing about 40% of the time. You would really need the game to go in the direction of a uh, an air it out type of game, which I really do think it could end up being as C.J. Stroud gets back into a rhythm that he was in from, uh, from returning from that head injury. So I do think that it could turn into a shootout, but – Beyond all of that, Kareem Hunt is just pretty much the only viable running back that provides us any sort of salary relief too. And Jerome Ford is not that much more expensive than him. Jerome Ford's fifty five hundred. I think Kareem Hunt's forty seven hundred. So you get a little bit of salary relief, but it's not enough for a lot of people to click on Kareem Hunt. So I think I'd I'd say Kareem Hunt in large field tournaments is a uh, interesting candidate for making your Joe Flacco stacks a little bit more unique. Game two shows the Miami Dolphins going into Kansas City to face the Chiefs. If I had told you before the season the chalk wouldn't be from this game, I don't think you would have believed me. But the Chiefs' <laughs> offense has not been nearly the same, and their D has been much better than expected. Ryan, your prop for the game is one of our returning champions. Why don't you tell us about your prop for the Miami game? Yeah, I'll be on the over on Devon Achan's longest rush. This line hasn't been posted yet. Most of the uh, Dolphins running back props are not available because of Mostert's uh, status being up in the air. But I would expect this line to be available at maybe 16.5 or 17.5. I'll take the over at, at that number or lower. It's really all about the Chiefs defense. And we've played this prop or similar props against the Chiefs defense throughout the year because they've just been a bad run defense from start to finish this season. And in this particular problem, it has a lot to do with their inability to create early contact because that's how you slow down a smaller runner, runner like Devon Achan. They make early contact at or behind the line of scrimmage at the second lowest rate in the league, just 37%. That's a very important number for Devon Achan because when he avoids that early contact, he gains 15 or more yards on 14% of his carries. That's an insane number for someone who played almost a full season. It's the league's highest rate by almost five percentage points, and it's more than triple the league average, which is down at 4.6%. So when he doesn't get that early contact, he just turns those into big plays at just such a ridiculous rate. Going up against a defense like the Chiefs, this is almost, an, it's, a, it's really a no-brainer. Now, if you followed the Chiefs closely this season, you might point to Nick Bolton, their linebacker who returned late in the year, and he's had an impact on the defense as a whole and why they've done a, a little bit better down the stretch. But I, I was a little concerned about that, and so I looked up some of the numbers, and across the board, any rushing statistic I looked up, they were they have been worse this year with Nick Bolton on the field. It doesn't make a ton of sense, but you know we've got you know he's played enough, and we've seen enough of him off the field. They almost an even split this year to say that that's kind of that's too significant to ignore. And you know in this particular stat, the early contact rate when Nick Bolton is on the field, their early contact rate is thirty three percent. 
as I said, there's they were at 37% overall. So they, they were they've been terrible at that early contact when Bolton is on the field. So I don't see any reason to think that the Chiefs overall defensive improvement down the stretch has is gonna play a role in them in their ability to to get early contact on HN. So the odds of him breaking off at least one big long run in this game is good. And so this is uh, as long as we get a reasonable number here, you know, if it were to jump over 20 or something like that, which is a line we almost never see, I may, maybe I would stay away. But if it's in the teens, I'm going to take the over. All right. I like it. Um, keep in mind, not just Ryan, but all of you out there, um, that right now it looks like it is going to be exceedingly cold in Kansas City Saturday night. I, I mean, like uh, Giants. Um, Giants, uh, Packers, Tom Coughlin's face turning into a tomato gold uh, from 2007. So um, again, you might think that would hurt the A-chain prop, Ryan, but my feeling is that if it's harder to pass, you're going to run more. And, you know, when, when it's cold, it's very easy to bounce off a defender. You know, you might not think it, but, you, you know, someone tries to tackle you and they just can't grip as well. Uh, I would think that that would actually help HN's opportunities to break off a big one rather than hurt them. Your thoughts? Yeah, I would, I would agree. We see weird plays, surprising number of big plays in really cold weather games all the time. I mean, it's just the, the offense really has the advantage in that type of game. You know, you're the one that knows where you're going, right? And when it's really cold, it just slows down your reflexes a little bit. So, yeah, if the weather is a, an extreme factor in this one, it, it only helps HN, I would think. Awesome. All right. So, let, let you know, let's talk about the weather, Adam, a little bit. You had talked about Patrick Mahomes as yeah. being a guy that you're interested in. Um does the weather and the fact that they just haven't been very good change your thoughts at all? Well, so I, I'd say the weather actually um, would hurt the Chiefs more than it would hurt the the Dolphins just because of so much what the, of what they do can be centered around the line of scrimmage. They use the line of scrimmage to set up plays downfield, but that's where they start at. So you would think like A-Chan's my favorite back of the slate, but then when you go over to the Chiefs side of the ball, probably hurts them a little bit more if you factor the weather cold i haven't historically worried about quite as much as i have like wind wind in any situation i care a lot more about for a passing game um but i guarantee like it's not going to be fun uh, especially since his wide receivers have so much trouble catching the ball anyways but that's why you're going to have to take a different approach if you choose to go with patrick mahomes over joe flacco and the reason cj stroud and Tua real quick don't come into consideration really is because they're priced so close to Patrick Mahomes and Patrick Mahomes like in like I said earlier in the show medium projection usually doesn't matter but when Patrick Mahomes is six points his medium projection is six points higher than either Stroud or Tua that does kind of make a difference. I mean, that's a whole rushing touchdown over the two guys priced the same as him. That means there's a pretty good lean that the Chiefs are going to produce a little bit better than those two those two quarterbacks. So what you're going to have to do with Patrick Mahomes is Pro this is where I would make the rule probably not play Rasheed Rice with Travis Kelsey. Um, I would, if I'm playing 20 max, which is usually what I'm doing, I would set a rule that I want to either single stack or triple stack Patrick Mahomes because uh, double stacks are going to be super popular with Rasheed Rice and Travis Kelsey. And then I would also set a rule to have just one of them in the lineup. Now, the likelihood of that one of the that Patrick Mahomes is the optimal captain and one of those two do. Uh, are out of the lineup it's it is kind of slim but the 
risk outweighs the reward and how much you're going to differentiate because Patrick Mahomes does not have a ton of viable options at wide receiver. It's not like Jared Goff or even Dak who's going to have four viable receivers that you can stack with. You're going to have to figure out ways to get weird in stacking Mahomes. So Justin Watson's going to be my favorite um, wide receiver option to go with. Um, I could I could see playing him with Rasheed Rice. I could see playing him with Travis Kelsey. Uh, you can even play Pacheco. Pacheco's had a couple long receptions, but um, you're going to have to be super weird. You're, you're going to make things a lot harder for yourself if you pick Patrick Mahomes over Joe Flacco, uh, even though their roster percentages are going to be similar and Patrick Mahomes is more expensive. So that's why Flacco is my favorite, but uh, Mahomes is, is just under him strictly because his medium projection is that much higher than everybody else's. All right. So one way to break the optimizer is to play two running backs from the same team. Now, yep. originally when I wrote this, uh, we're going to get into that as we get into the the next slate. There's uh, some cheaper options where you can play both. But if Mostert plays, uh, you know, there, yep. you're not going to see Mostert HN lineups. But especially in the cold, do you think that is a viable oh, yeah. way to make a couple lineups? Yeah, I think that's the only viable two running backs on the on the whole weekend, actually. So I guess that's a bit of a spoiler. But usually I'm a huge advocate for playing two running backs from the same team just because on short slates, it's really easy for a lot of running backs to fail. Um, but due to pricing, that's probably the only viable option. The only weird thing is that they're both one of them 6,800, one of them 6,700. Um, so on a two game, you can get by with that, but it's going to be tough. Uh, because of the cold, you don't have to get so many expensive wide receivers. And there's not a lot of expensive wide receivers to pick from on the slate anyways. So that's why that would be viable on the slate. Um, I don't know if I don't know if Mostert's going to actually go, especially not in full capacity. But if he does, I have definitely already considered playing both of them. Or, or it's easier to do it if he doesn't um, with Jeff Wilson and, and Devin A-Chain. I think that uh, would definitely be on my radar for the short slate. Agreed. Yep. All right. So that's going to do it for the first slate on a Wilby card weekend. Um, uh, let's actually, one. Todd, if I could jump in real quick. Sure. Had, while you guys were talking, I had a chance to look something up since you brought up weather and it affecting that particular mm -hmm. prop. We got some good weather related stats going back to 2000. So I just looked up explosive running plays in single digit temperatures or any other temperature. Single-digit temperatures, 4.8% of carries go for 15 or more yards. In all other temperatures, 4.8% of carries go for 15 or more yards. So absolutely no effect on explosive run plays. Right. <laughs> and, 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 and that was my thought is that um, – and, you, you, you know, you run the ball more. So that percentage true. is the same, but the chance of it happening could be higher. So um, a couple of thoughts for everyone out there on how to handle that slate. Um, Adam gave us some really good ideas, and uh, I'm excited as we move forward towards um, the next one. So moving on to Sunday, uh, we see the Steelers heading to the Bills in Buffalo. Um, now, this is another one where we could have weather. Uh, they're talking about maybe even moving the game because of whiteout conditions. It's a three-game slate, but we don't have ownership as of early. I didn't see it. I guess it's out there now. Um, Ryan, your prop, though, is from this game, 
And uh, well, you have one from every game, so definitely have one from this game. Uh, why don't you tell us about your Najee Harris prop? Yeah, this one was more of a gut feeling prop than one really strongly supported by stats. But I'm going to be on the over on Najee Harris's rush attempts at 15 and a half yards. Obviously, towards the end of the season, we saw really strong usage for him with 26 and 27 carries in the final two games. So some, some recent trend towards the over here, which which obviously boosts our confidence. Cold weather obviously could mean more rush attempts, especially if it's like whiteout conditions in the snow. That's going to really force you to lean on your run. But even if it's even if the weather is not crazy conditions, if it's just like a normal kind of snow game, I think in his heart, Mike Tomlin wants to be the type of team that leans on his 240-pound running back for 25 carries. That's the identity he wants his team to have every week, regardless of weather conditions. So if he has a little bit of added excuse with the weather to lean on that, and we've seen him do that the last couple of weeks at the end of the season here already, I, I think he's going to do it. Like I think he's going to take every opportunity to be that type of team that he can. And also, I don't really, although I I would pick the Bills to win this game. I don't really trust them to just run away with this and force the Steelers to throw the ball. I think it's going to be a relatively close game, even if the Bills are leading without. So I think the option to run the ball 20-plus times with Harris in this game is going to be on the table for for the, for the Tomlin, and I think that, that, that that's who he wants to be. So in snowy conditions, I think he's just going to really lean into it. All right. All right. I like that, Najee Harris. Um Adam, any differences in playing a three-game slate versus a two-game slate for you, or pretty much the same thoughts? It gets a little bit closer to main slate for this one, but what I usually do on three-game slate is I try to find a reason to hate one of the games, and that makes my life way easier. Um, regardless of the whiteout conditions, I decided that my stand this week that's probably going to um, end up poorly for me is that I'm not going to play Josh Allen regardless of conditions. Um, he simply, he doesn't really project that much better. You're playing him because he's Josh Allen, which I hate to do. I try to dis disassociate the allure of the players from my, my opinion on the slate. So I, I really don't like just saying I'm going to go in. Uh, I'm still going to play 35% Josh Allen on a slate where there's other really strong options just because he's Josh Allen. It doesn't set up well, 10 point home favorite, poor weather conditions, um, and Pittsburgh's defense is actually reasonably, I mean, that's the reason they're here, right? They're, they're only in the, in the playoffs because well, one Mason Rudolph somehow figured out how to play football. Um, but then two really strong defense, even without TJ Watt. Right. So, um, that's really the story that I'm telling myself is that I'm going to go without Josh Allen. And that makes the slate easier. What happens on three game slates is you want to spread yourself way too thin. Like I said earlier, especially in wildcard, when you have really good teams with really good players, it's really easy to spread yourself way too thin. Give yourself reasons to have a more condensed player pool and just stick with that group of players. All right. I don't expect this game to be heavily owned, Adam. Would you agree on such a small slate, even though the game is probably alone owned? There's massive advantage to getting information out of the uh, the first game. Um, who are you know, if you agree with my premise, who are a couple guys that you would look to play to try and get um, information from on this slate on this game? The, the player that I've uh, 
that I'm most interested on this slate is going to hinge a lot on the weather too, but it's going to be George Pickens. Um, and that's obviously paying attention to how the weather is leading up into the game because it's going to be very difficult for Mason Rudolph. It's already hard enough for Mason Rudolph to get one of his receivers the ball. I mean, if it's um, very, very poor conditions, it, he probably falls off as one of my favorite plays of the slate. But um, And then the running backs, I, they don't quite make it into a lot of, a lot of your builds like you would have to manually change some things to get either of the Steelers running backs. That's why I'm not going with both of them, even though that burned me a couple weeks ago when I elected to not go with both of them. Um, I mean, Najee Harris has been on a tear. I love that prop because over the last three weeks, he's averaged over like 22 touches or, or, or attempts or something like that. So Najee Harris scares me a little bit um, as an avoid, but he just doesn't quite make it over the other really strong options. So I guess my answer is going to be uh, George Pickens is the one I care the most about, and that's because I need to see if the weather is going to be conducive for him to even be able to see the football. Yeah, if I felt that way, if I was going to play Najee in lineups, I would force um, the other running back with him. Um, boy, my brain just went... Um, Dead again. The other Pittsburgh running back. Oh, Jalen Warren. Yeah, yeah. Jaylen yeah, I see what you're getting at too. Yeah, I I think that um, Jalen Warren and um, you know, and this is the one I was kind of alluding to earlier, where the salaries right. are pretty reasonable. They yeah. both have defined roles, and if the weather is bad, they're probably going to lean on the run game more. We we know about all the injuries that Buffalo's had on defense this year. Um, I kind of like both of them together. Ryan, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, the potential for this to just be an, just an over-the-top run-heavy game script certainly puts that in play, I would think. Like, you could see Harris could easily hit the over on that prop that we talked about and get 20 carries, and Warren could have 12 carries and three or four receptions. Yep. If each one of them gets a touchdown in this game, um, you know, Adam's point earlier was how easy it is for running backs to fail on a slate like mm -hmm. this. If the two of them end up being two of the top three um, highest scoring running backs on the slate, having the two of them together mixed, obviously, with, you know, the almost nuts everywhere else could could be the GPP winning way. Um, I, so, I have one more quick note on it, Todd. Go ahead. So it does. Uh, the case for you would be that they're Najee Harris is only 5,400 Jalen Warren's 5,100. If you did want to build that way, that actually does make a ton of sense because you're, you're really going to want Kyron Williams. Aaron Jones is really strong too, but you could get away with not playing Aaron Jones, but with so many high priced running backs on the slate, it shapes up to have two 5k wide receivers. Um, and if instead of doing two 5k wide receivers, you run a one, a run, a running back in the flex, which is, very viable even in large field gpps on short slates then instead of running two 5k wide receivers which is what a, a lot of people are going to have to do you then run two 5k running backs and those are the only two viable 5k running backs so you do set yourself up with a pretty unique build just by playing those two independent of the fact that you're playing two running backs together just in the context of the slate yep i um i, I again i'm not saying you know when you talk about a strategy like that on a podcast, people sometimes tend to think, well, I'm going to do that with 40% of my lineups. Yeah, no, right. 
No, uh, I, I'm saying that if you're, you know, if you're if you're 150 lineuping a certain contest, um, to have 10 percent or 5 percent of your builds with those two mixing up the other players that go with them, it is an attempt to try and win the tournament. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But um, you know, there's very few ways to differentiate yourself in a short slate and breaking the rules as Adam consistently talks about, that is a way to get to the top of the mountain. So with that in mind, let's go to game two where the Packers are going into Dallas. Ryan, tell us about your Jordan Love. Yeah, we're going back to a prop that we played pretty consistently towards the end of the season here. Jordan Love over on his completions. Shop around for this line because it's it's different all over the place. I've seen it as low as 21 and a half, which I love. I've seen it as high as 23 and a half, which I would still play, but obviously uh, try to get the lowest number you can. The over on this prop is 10 and one in his last 11 games. And yeah, as we've been talking about the last few weeks, it really goes back to pretty early in the season. The Packers made a fairly dramatic shift in their offense when they started throwing downfield a lot less they're pretty aggressive right out of the gate but since week five only 31 percent of his attempts have been 10 or more yards downfield since that time he's now completing 68 percent of the passes and basically he's been crushing the over on this prop ever since because they're just kind of letting him dink and dunk and then take shots downfield in opportune times which has also boosted his completion percentage when he does throw down the field because they're being a little bit more choosy with when they're asking him to do that now we've got a tough matchup here obviously with the cowboys they not only i mean they're a good defense across the board they allowed the second fewest completions this year which probably which really does say a lot about how good they've been because a team that's been leading a lot obviously you would expect their completion number to be a little bit higher but they allowed the second fewest completion so it's a tough prop but i i think this game is going to fairly easily go in the Cowboys direction. So I'm also banking on the fact that the Cowboys are probably leading this game comfortably from pretty early on, forcing the Packers into an even more heavy game script. And as a team that just sort of likes to dink and dunk down the field, going up against a defense that's maybe playing with a double digit lead, they're going to let you do that. So he's going to have a lot of those short, easy completions in the second half, I would expect, so long as this game script goes as expected, because the Cowboys are just kind of going to let him do that and just let them bleed the clock on their own. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm just looking something up. Um, you know, uh, for some reason, the uh, ownership on defense is just almost 50% uh, Buffalo Bills mm -hmm. uh, on this slate at 3,500. The Cowboys 10% at 3,600. Ryan mm -hmm. was talking about the defense. Um, Adam, I mean, is that some area? I mean, we're talking about one of the best defenses to score points in the league. Um, I know that wasn't supposed to be my first question on this game, mm -hmm. but I'm really taken by um, – you know, the Cowboys defense um, at 10%. Defense is by far, by far the most difficult um, position to project always, but especially on short slates. So there's no defense that you should feel like you have to get 
Um, I see why Buffalo's roster percentage is so high. I mean, 50% is insane, but for a defense on a short slate. Well, but, it's 40, 40, almost between 40 and 45. That's still, okay. still really just high. way too high. I mean, 25% is fair for a good defense on a short slate. So anytime everybody is sure about a defense, just you can be underweight on them. I mean, even if it's a snowstorm and the weather, if the weather is the reason why you're playing Buffalo, just play the Steelers at a significantly lower roster percentage with also very good players, um, just like Buffalo's um, really their stars have stepped up and that's what has led them on this run. You've got the same thing on the Steelers defense is only good because they have some very, very talented players at the top end. So if that's what you're playing the the Bills for, just play the Steelers. And then um, on the flip side of that, I, I kind of spread out the defense a little bit because I don't want defense to be the reason that my perfect lineup doesn't hit. Um, it's just, it's kind of rare on these short slates that a defense just takes off so much that they're the reason that your lineup hits or doesn't hit. You could get four points from your defense and still win a GPP. But if all of your lineups are constructed around a $3,500 defense, they're all going to look pretty similar. And then if that defense doesn't hit, I mean, what are you going to do? So um, I'm certainly not going to be overweight on it on the Bills defense. And I wouldn't even mind uh, completely omitting them uh, if their ownership is going to be that high. Dak is looking to be the highest owned quarterback on the slate at about 30%. CD Lamb, 42%. Um, you know, I, I think that I would lean into probably putting a second um, person in that stack, whether it be Ferguson or Cooks. Um, your thoughts on that on this particular slate? Dak's my favorite quarterback to stack in the entire NFL. I've done really well on Cowboys lineups this year because it's a very condensed target tree, but he does get other players involved. I think last week I did really well on the Cowboys slate with Jalen Tolbert um, scoring a touchdown. And so you have Jalen Tolbert, you have Gallup, you have Cavante Turpin, and all of them are going to probably touch the ball. And it just matters what they do with the football. So it is really nice to stack Dak because it's easy to get to viable triple stacks, which is really what you want. If you're playing a quarterback that's not um, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Esque runners, you really want to be able to triple stack them if you can, because if you have enough conviction that they're going to win the slate, they're probably going to bring at least three guys with them, just like we talked about with the Browns. So I really don't mind having CeeDee Lamb in all of them. Just just lock them. It's fine. It's fine if he's 90%. Just lock CeeDee Lamb with Dak and then uh, rotate in Ferguson, Cooks, and then just include in your lineups your Turpins, Tolbert, and, and Michael Gallup. Just rotate through those guys. And then you can also kind of get Tony Pollard involved because he's been um, doing kind of well in the passing game too and it's a 50.5 point total so there's going to be a lot of passing so tony pollard's another viable stacking option there's just so much you can do if you just lock lamb set a rule to have at least three and go from there yeah aaron jones 6300 um you know he's you know what i like about the ownership that i'm seeing is you're seeing a lot of guys in the 30 to 40 range which means pick your favorite and, and double that, right? Yeah. You yeah. know, if you feel, you know, Kyron Williams at 40% on a slate like this, one of the things that I'm very careful about is I don't like when someone is 60% because 
if you go yeah. to eighty percent, you're 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 not getting enough leverage right. to to value that much of if something goes wrong. Yeah, right? it never feels good when your eighty percent guy scores and you lose money, and it's like, okay, that's yeah. how this slate's gonna go. <laughs> But if a guy's 40% and you go 80%, now you're 2x the field. Yeah. You've got the needed leverage to make that play work out. Keep that in mind, folks. I tend to not like to be, I don't like to limp over. Yeah. I either want to, you know, be 2x or uh, hang right around even or slightly underweight as a way to differentiate. Uh, would you agree, Adam? Yeah, I use the I use the lock button on short slates two two game three game if I have enough conviction on someone I might lock Aaron Jones. Um, I'm undecided on Kyron Williams. That's why I don't know if I would lock Aaron Jones into every lineup just yet. Uh, this is of course twenty max and lower. You can't really I wouldn't do that on uh, like 150 max or anything like that. But in 20 max, I'm perfectly comfortable um, locking someone because that's the only way that you can block the entire field out as if you've just completely locked the player. So um, if you have enough conviction, like I do on, on like Aaron Jones, partially due to his pricing, because there's so many six K running backs that are viable um, that they're kind of all vulturing each other's roster percentages. So it's really nice to just say, okay, well, I understand why James cook has a similar roster percentage and Jameer Gibbs has a similar roster percentage, but I just like Aaron Rodgers or Aaron um, Jones so much more. I just lock them, and then you don't get those other guys, of course. But they're forty percent and forty percent. You beat them. That's a lot of the field that you've just took out of contention. No, I, I think you know. Again, that is the difference in playing these kind of slates. It's not just breaking optimizers; it's also breaking the way you yourself would, you know, what would make you feel comfortable doing. Right. right? Absolutely. It, it it feels more comfortable to go eighty percent than a hundred. Right, because there's nothing worse than lock buttoning a guy, and then on the third play he twists an ankle. Yeah, it feels and, terrible, and, and, and you're dead. I mean, it, but that being said, if that guy is the guy you need to have on the slate, mm -hmm. and you've got 20 bullets when everyone else has 10, that you know could get you into different combinations to maximize the value of the play. And if I could add that uh, if you do lock button a couple players like, OK, so let's say I only and in 20 max, I usually try to go with one quarterback. Sometimes I'll do like 12 of one quarterback and then eight of the other quarterback in the same game. But I still have to have conviction on that game. So let's just say I locked Dak and I locked CeeDee Lamb. OK, you, you've locked two players and then you've picked Aaron Jones as the player you're going to lock. Not only have you set yourself up well, not only if Aaron Jones hits did you do really well? But that roster construction is going to be similar because you've locked three players in. So there's only so much money left over. So if those three players hit and and that um, that roster uh, build, that build ends up working out in 20 max, you really 20 is not that many lineups. So you really have to be perfect to win a GPP. So if you hit on those three locked players and then the rest of the pieces are pretty similar just cycled um, one player or two player out, the chance that you're perfect is a lot higher if you hit on your three lock players. So that's like a huge difference between main slate and uh, you have so many more outs in main slate. Like for anybody who plays poker, main slate, there's so many more outs than you have on on shorts, three game, two games. Um, 
you twist an ankle, you're done. Somebody goes off, has an Amari Cooper game, you're done, right? So just have conviction on your plays and be way over the field on the plays that you have conviction on. I love it. Absolutely love it. Let's move to the last game of the three-game slate. Um, A really cool game where uh, Matt Stafford, who spent a tremendous amount of his life in Detroit, um, was traded for Jared Goff. They get to play each other in the playoffs. Um, the, The Rams heading in. Ryan, tell us about your prop for this game. Yeah, I'm going to go for Jamison Williams receiving yards over 34 and a half yards. My conviction on this is a little, maybe slightly reduced based on the fact that it sounds like Sam Laporta actually does have a chance of playing. I was kind of assuming that that was just not going to happen, but it does sound like, I think he said if he does play, he's going to be playing with a brace. So it sounds like he's certainly going to be limited. And so probably affects his usage a little bit, even if he's out there. So even if Laporta plays, I'm still going to be on this prop. It's partially because of Laporta. I think there's not really an easy solution to say like, well, this guy directly benefits from Laporta's, he's going to see Laporta's targets. That's not going to happen. Jamison Williams, I think, benefits a little bit from it because his usage is kind of all over the place. They like him to do a lot of different things in the offense. So he's going to see maybe one or two extra targets in this game if Laporta is not out there. And maybe even one or two, even if Laporta is out there but limited. Um, Because obviously Williams would then provide some explosive ability that I think Laporta is going to lack if he's out there with a knee brace. I also think the potential for a big play in this matchup could really help us. This is a low number. 34 and a half and you know an explosive player like Williams is certainly capable of getting you know a lot of it or even all of it on just one catch and so look I was looking a little bit at the coverage matchup here the Rams play a very high rate of cover three 39 percent of their plays are in cover three Williams he doesn't necessarily see more usage against cover three it's 10 percent target share against cover three right in line with his season average but he sees 20.3 air yards per target when going up against cover three. So it seems like in this particular alignment, when Williams is out there, they're going to try to take some shots downfield if they think he's in a one-on-one matchup. So given the given the fact that you know almost half the time the Rams are going to be lined up this way, pretty good chance that he sees one or more targets down the field, which gives us the potential to get a huge chunk of this or all of it on just one play. Now, the re- the reason why I'm not going to play his, the reason why I prefer this to playing his longest reception prop, but you could certainly use the same logic to play that. I just think with this being a pretty low number, we also have the potential to win this, even if he doesn't hit on one of those plays, because he could just, if Laporte is out, he could have four or five receptions and hit the over that way as well. So I think we have more avenues to a win playing his receiving yards total. But if you wanted to play the the over on his longest reception that's you know same logic is totally justified there as well adam you mentioned earlier 50 percent on demarcus robinson the world that we now live in um matthew stafford the kingmaker he has even done something patrick mahomes couldn't do which is make um demarcus robinson uh dfs eligible uh but You've got Jamison Williams right around 25, 27%. And a guy I'll throw out there because I think I think the third, you know, I think if, if Laporta plays, it's going to keep the ownership on Jamison down uh, on um and and it's certainly going to keep the ownership on Josh Reynolds down. Josh Reynolds is right now looking under 20% ownership. Um, if I said to you, Robinson at 50, 
um, Williams at 25 or Josh Reynolds at 15, um, where are you putting the majority of your chips on a spot that I think one of those three guys, the, the, getting that right could be what opens up this slate? Yeah, if you ever want to know if you're a true uh, degenerate or not, just ask yourself, am I sick about Demarcus Robinson's roster percentage uh, on the slate? And if you're not sick about it, then you're not a degenerate yet. But it, it makes me very sick. I have no idea what to do with that. 50% is the worst possible roster percentage that he could be at for me to try to make a decision on what I'm going to do with him. Um, so smart thing to do with no emotion. You would play Jamison Williams. You would play Josh Reynolds. That's just coming from playing a lot of these type of slates. And the sure thing is never the sure thing. So you would probably just play one of the uh, Lions receivers. And then you just double down and you play Reynolds because Reynolds gets uh, easier volume. And he can also have those long plays than Jamison, long, long plays like Jamison Williams as well. So you just say, you know what, that guy's 50%, that guy's, um, 15%. Let me go with the 15% guy who in a vacuum probably has the same same uh opportunity. The issue though is that Robinson's volume has been um I I can't explain why he's had 10 target games multiple times over the season and why he's playing 90% of the snaps and why he was resting last week with the rest of the starters. No idea. But he's clearly being treated as um one of the best wide receiver three workloads in the entire league, if not the best. It's very rare to see your third wide receiver playing 92% of the snaps. So he's a great play. I wish DraftKings just priced him appropriately, and this this wasn't wouldn't be so difficult. Um, I think that if you believe that Demarcus Robinson is such a slam dunk play that you have to play him, then he is one of your he is definitely lock button eligible. Um and what's unfortunate is that Kyron Williams is somebody who falls into that category as well. And I'm not interested in playing Matthew Stafford. I'm definitely not interested in locking in two members of his offense. So this game gets, um, it gets very tricky, but it's also the best game environment we have on the slate. All right. Now we're back to the two running back questions again in a more expensive way with Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery. Um, I, I think that it is viable. Would you agree? A little pricey on this slate. The difference is, um, the difference for me is that we have such strong options on the top and it's kind of why I think okay. you're leaving too much, um, op I think you're leaving too much on the table with the Steelers, but I get it because they're so cheap. You're, you're probably leaving too much on the table if you take both of the, the Detroit running backs on a slate where there's such strong options just because every team on this slate has a strong RB1 and some strong RB2s. Uh, so it, it would be really difficult for both of them to get there. I'm definitely not opposed to the strategy. Actually, it's an, an insanely good strategy on showdown, short slate, everything. It's just that these guys are too expensive for me to buy into it on this slate. Yeah. So in, in in a case like that, what I might do is, you know, if I'm lock buttoning Aaron Jones, I might go, you know, 40, uh, you know, 50, 50 on one of each of the other, yeah, of the lines, right. You know, that way you're kind of splitting the baby a little bit. Uh, maybe you throw in Kyron in a few lineups coming back in a, in a three running back build. Yeah. Um, but that uh, base, I, I kind of agree with you that you, once you laid it out that way, I think that's more likely the way that I would want to do it. Um, if you've liked the talk that we've done so far, 
Um, just keep in mind that the big Hefe, Warren Sharp, um, and his amazing record are going into the postseason with packages now. We have great deals to offer. Um, just go to sharpfootball.com. Take 150 is one of the codes for $150 off the whole playoffs. Or use the code WILDCARD for 75% off your first week. Sharpfootball.com. These packages are worth the money, folks. Go get them. And let me know on Twitter if you make money because I want to rejoice with you. All right. So let's move to the showdown slate. The last uh, game on the, uh, uh, you know, what we're talking about. And um, Ryan, why don't you give us your Rashad White uh, prop? Yeah, this one jumped out to me right away. I'm going to be on the under on Rashad White's carries at 16 and a half. The Eagles are obviously favored in this game. I feel pretty good about that, thinking that that, that they're going to be able to, uh, maybe not necessarily cruise to an easy victory, but they'll be able to win this game. And for a, what's probably not a great game script for him, this is a very high number. In eight losses this year, Rashad White has topped this 16 and a half number only once. And that came against the Texans when they were actually winning for most of the second half. So even though they lost that game, it was a favorable run game script for a good portion of the second half there. So the Eagles are favored by three in this game. I personally feel good about that. I suppose if you liked the Bucks in this game, maybe you'd want to stay away from this prop. But you know, assuming that they're not going to have a great game script, it doesn't bode well for his usage. When the Bucks are trailing in the second half, 23% of their plays are handoffs to running backs. That's below the league average of 27%. So they're not a team that we would expect to stubbornly run the ball a lot in the second half. The reason this prop number is a little bit high might be because weather. Um, initial weather report said that this looked like it was going to be a pretty rainy game. So maybe that's why it came up with a high number because that obviously could affect, you know, even, even as an underdog, that could lead to more uh, carries for them. But as of right now, it's going to rain in Tampa on Sunday and Tuesday, but not Monday. So we're looking at, as of right now, at least upper 60s and no rain. So no no reason to think the weather is going to dictate this game at all. So, I mean, maybe, maybe you keep an eye on that and wait until the last minute, but then you may also run the risk of this number dropping. So I went ahead and took it already and just I'm going to trust the uh, trust the current weather report. Hopefully that doesn't change too drastically as we get closer to the game. All right, Adam, we're still a few days away. And by the way, Ryan, thank you for that prop and all the props. Uh, Ryan has had another great year, guys, um, and I want to um, thank him for um, giving us, you know, a prop for each game this week. All right, Adam, we're still a couple games uh, days away, um, so just give us some preliminary thoughts on how to play showdown, uh, a couple of the captains you'd be looking at, and a couple of the rules you might uh, look to break. Yeah, we have a roadmap for for Eagle slates for showdown. Um, they're pretty consistently the same. The only issue is that we have uh, DeAndre Swift with an illness, Devonta Smith with an ankle, uh, AJ Brown with a knee. So let's just pretend. Oh, and Jalen Hurts hasn't thrown a football since last Sunday because he took his finger out of socket. I believe it was the situation, and they they put it back in and then took him out of the game because it didn't matter anymore. Let's just assume they're all going to be active because it's so early in the week and, and they all be, are being projected as active. Then you just play the slate straight up, which is for me, usually in 20 max, I'm only really playing AJ Brown. Now, keep in mind, this is like a 40,000 or 4,000 or lower player pool. 
Uh, I'm usually just playing AJ Brown at captain and Jalen Hurts at captain, and I try to stack Jalen Hurts as if he's going to have a, a ceiling passing performance because people continue to stack him as if he is Lamar Jackson, um, who actually Lamar Jackson has made you a lot of money in stacking this way too. But either way, these ru rushing quarterbacks, people tend to overthink it and only single stack them or don't stack them at all. So I tend to uh, stack them as if they're going to have strong passing performances. I'll run A.J. Brown at captain, uh, Jalen Hurts at captain interchangeably. If I do have A.J. Brown at captain, I like to try not to spend too high on the other receivers that I include in the lineup. So that's when I'll try to include a, uh, a cheap option at receiver if I do play another wide receiver. And then if you're talking larger fields, then DeAndre Swift is an excellent option at captain. And then also Devonta Smith is an excellent option. The good thing about playing Devonta Smith is that you can put him in some of your AJ Brown lineups in large field and then just leave the money on the table, just flip flop AJ Brown and Devonta Smith. And that's something that I've done a few times um, this year in, in really large fields because Devonta Smith actually does kind of have the same massive ceiling as AJ Brown. He just hasn't hit it quite as consistently. Awesome. <clears throat> um, that is going to do it for us. Um, we had a very full show, a lot of good props, a lot of good talk. Um, the boys and I will be back next week to take you through um, the winners and uh, we'll get to see the Ravens and the Niners as well. We want to thank you for joining us. Don't forget our full season packages. Use the code WILDCARD for 75% off your first week. Or for the full postseason, you know you want it all. Take $150 for $150 off. That's going to do it for us for this week. And we will see you next Thursday.